Hi everyone, Dan Sims here, and before we kick off today's episode, on behalf of all of us here at Mould, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for tuning into this podcast, and especially for leaving your comments and reviews. It really means a lot, and goes a long way to helping spread the good word about great Australian cheese. If you have any other comments, you can always contact us on the socials at, at Mould Cheese, or drop us an email at hello at moldcheesefestival.com. But that's enough from me for now. Let's get into it. You talk about the romance behind making cheese and all that sort of stuff. For me, it was like it really enabled me to, to sit down and take stock of where I was and what I was doing with my life. And just, yeah, just really helped me with stress levels, I suppose. Hi, everyone. Dan Sims here again. And welcome back to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast, where we speak to the makers, growers, farmers and families, and today's chefs, who just happen to make the best cheese in Australia. As anyone who works or has worked in hospitality, they can tell you that the pressures you find yourself under can be pretty full on. So taking a moment of respite in between the madness of service is essential. For chef Colin Wood, this came in the form of cheese making, which has now become a significant part of his culinary life. You just have to check out his Instagram, at Cole J Wood, to see what I mean. In short, it's cheese porn. Colin's chefing career has taken him across the globe, working in some of the best in the world, including Andrew McConnell's Cutler & Co, to Oak Ridge in the Yarra Valley, and then to New York as culinary director for Chef Ignacio Matos's restaurants Estella, Altro Paradiso, and Flora Bar. Throughout all, developing cheese programs within was paramount. He returned to Australia just prior to the borders closing and is now in Perth pondering his next steps. But one thing is certain. Cheese will remain a sincere and central focus. So let's get into it. Colin Wood, welcome to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast. How are you going? Good, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Mate, so where are you in the world right now? I'm sitting in my mum's backyard in Nolamara in Perth, Western Australia. (laughs) Uh, it looks pretty sunny there, mate. I'm a little bit jealous. Um, yes, it's beautiful. Maybe just to kick us off, and again, this is going to be a really hard one, to sort of tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to right now. But I say that with a caveat being that's going to be a pretty hard summary because you you have done and accomplished so much. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I'm a chef. I uh, have been for the last 20 years or so. Originally from Perth, uh, moved to Melbourne, I think, 15 years ago, and then I uh, worked for Andrew McConnell for 10 years, and then I moved to New York three years ago, spent some time in New York, and then I've been back in Australia since March this year. Yeah, so chef by trade, and uh, I dabble in cheese making, which is why I'm on this show. So thanks for having me again. What is it about cheese that gets you so excited and so motivated? Um, I think working in such high-stressful, high-pressure environments was really challenging for me to like as I became a head chef and took on management roles and then I met a friend who a dear friend Richard Thomas who's you know the godfather of Australian cheese to me and to most people around you know you speak to Nick Haddo and those guys you know he taught them a lot um, and he came in one day and we talked about cheese and then he showed me how to make cheese and then I just clicked with him and I just started I don't know, to alleviate a lot of that stress and that pressure, you know. You talk about the romance behind making cheese and all that sort of stuff. 
for me it was like it really enabled me to to sit down and take stock of where I was and what I was doing with my life and just yeah just really helped me with stress levels I suppose and then you know making something with your bare hands that you don't really know anything about was a really romantic thing for me and just deconstructing it all and reading books and talking to people in the industry it just really opened my whole world up I suppose and I wouldn't be here without that chance moment of making the first cheese I ever made with Richard. What was the first cheese that you made? We made a fromage blanc together. So when I was working for Andrew, he uh, used to have, I think he still does actually, have uh, culinary sessions with his cooks and his team and, you know, industry professionals and suppliers and producers and things like that. Um, And Richard came in and made cheese for one of those sessions and I was just hooked after that. That's amazing. And I love what you talk about the obviously the pressures of of kitchens and you know hospitality in general. It's, it's especially especially in the, those sort of high end restaurants is full on, and finding yeah. solace in making that cheese is amazing. And then so so from there that first fromage blanc, what was next? I mean, is there is there one particular style of cheese that you've absolutely fallen in love with? Um, we we made. I think that day we made fromage blanc, we made a Persian feta, and I think we made a camembert together that day. And Richard being Richard and very much a, I don't know what the word is, Richard being Richard and just <laughs> giving you something to, to learn about yourself, you know, he's yeah. not going to give you the answers, he's not going to give you the solutions. So we made a camembert and then it was up to us and me to, to look after them and mature them. And I think that process of, you know, not wanting wanting to let someone down like that and really making a go of it was something that I really um, strive for. And we made it. And, and, you know, in two weeks' time we had some beautiful cheeses and he was really proud of it. And so I really have a soft spot for making camemberts and things like that and really, you know, breaking down the processes because I'm sure all of you are, cheesemakers and friends that have been on this podcast talk about seasonality and you know the different milks and what's happening and I think those two being a chef and being an amateur cheesemaker kind of blend it together because you know seasonality and food is a massive thing and you know the the strawberry might taste different one day till it does the next and it's the same with milk so it really gave me an understanding and appreciation of what was going on and the milk and the affinage of the cheese making process and just really questioning everything. So yeah, fromage blanc, then we moved into soft mold cheeses and then I've made a few hard cheeses as well, like semi-hards and things like that. But it's still something because I am still a full-time chef and, you know, managing and running kitchens, it is kind of a hobby per se, you know, like my Instagram does have a lot of cheese on there, but it's that's me at home, you know, just figuring things out and it's the downtime, I suppose. And so that curiosity, which I love about food, especially around seasonality and talking about the different flavors of milk, when you're tasting milk or you know, you've got access to milk, are you starting to think of what type of cheese that you're going to make from that point or is it something that you go into and make the cheese for the milk or does the milk make the cheese? Um, I think it can go either way. Generally, like when I'm making cheeses for for restaurants or things like that it's usually just uh, we always just go with a white mold or a fresh cheese because we don't have massive cheese caves in restaurant kitchens and things like that it's pretty like never any room in restaurants no there's yeah exactly you know you're struggling to get changed let alone age 20 cheeses in there (laughs) so 
it's generally the fresher cheeses when I'm making for restaurants because of storage and, you know, we don't have affineurs and people to look after them. With the semi-hard and more aged cheeses that I'm making at home, it might be that I've found a really good quality milk and I want to make it something that's going to last in there. We'll talk about, say, from when you're working with Andrew, you know, Cutler and then moving out to somewhere like Oak Ridge. And I know Joe Barrett was talking about, you know, the influence up there and, you know, her cheese journey. Say from Oak Ridge and then, you know, what was next? Well, Oak Ridge was just a, it was just another case of exactly what's happening right right now. It's the right place at the right time. So I'd finished with Andrew and then I was waiting for my visa to be processed to move to New York. And Matt and Joe reached out to me and said that they had a really fantastic milk supplier and, you know, with their ethos of locality and using things that are in the Yarra Valley they and they knew my passion you know they, they followed me on Instagram they saw all the stuff so they thought you know and they'd seen what I'd done for Andrew and Cutler and things like that so it was just a perfect opportunity for them to get me out there to help them set up a dairy program and and see what worked and what didn't and then you know to set it up so Joe could carry on and done the amazing things that she's done now. And then from there you said the visas come through and then you're over to New York and how was yeah. how was that experience? It was crazy. It was a huge culture shock in terms of everything, you know, professionally, working, personal life, home life, everything. It was just such a huge culture shock for the first year, but after that, really, really enjoyed it. Um, we lived in both Manhattan and Brooklyn, and, yeah, it was just it was an awesome city. Now, one of the restaurants that I know and I've had the privilege of eating at, which was like Flora Bar, Looking at the cheese program there, I mean, was there any diff- like major differences from what you were seeing, whether from the milk over there to say something like Oak Ridge? Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't really making cheese over there for the restaurants. It was more about um, sourcing local and artisan cheeses, a bit like what you're doing with the Mold Cheese Collective, but in a restaurant sense. So I was helping the pastry chefs and the teams there, you know, find good producers, find good artisan. Uh, products and things like that to to help boost the cheese programs so in terms of flavor profile i mean obviously we we specialize in uh, just australian cheese what differences do you see in say the cheese that you were seeing in america were there similarities or uh, similar inspirations or styles or what about the flavors i would say the similarities definitely Uh, i think the american artisan cheese movement is probably 15 years ahead of Australia. Mm. You know, I look at uh, Holy Goat and, you know, beautiful goat's cheese producers like that. Uh, They have that in America as well. There's a lady called Judy Shad who um, has a cheese company, a cheese manufacturer called uh, Capriol. It's down in Indiana. And the similarities between those two cheeses and the story and the ethos behind it all was really something that I really enjoyed working with Judy because of that background and that understanding of, you know, what she was doing with her goat's milk and her goat's cheeses. Um, and then I suppose as well, close close to New York as well is, is Vermont, which is also a really big cheese producing uh, state. And what Jasper Hill and those guys are doing is really amazing. And I think, you know, guys like Nick Haddo at Bruni are starting to do that sort of stuff. So I think Australia is catching up. But it, it was really interesting to be able to, you know, see a, a new world cheese movement and how far they'd progressed. And, you know, all these different people around the country were making really beautiful cheeses. So what's the long-term plan now that you're back? 
Is it a cheese? Is it making cheese full time? I'm asking for both personally and professionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, I'm at a point in my life where you know I've got a lot, got a lot of experience and a lot of um, a, lot, a lot of experience and a lot of training behind me. Um, I think it's it's either at a crossroads. You know, do I keep going down the chef route and you know open up my own spot or something like that, or you know, get involved with some some local cheesemakers here and start learning a little bit more. I'm pretty lucky. Le- next week, I'm going down to Nana, which is in the southwest of mm. Western Australia, to spend some time with Cambrai Sheep's Cheese um, and just hang out with them and, and learn a few things. Because yeah, I've never been formally trained as a cheesemaker or anything like that. A lot of it is through reading books and experience and touch and feel. So I think yeah, I'd like to spend a bit more time with you know cheesemakers and get their perspectives and understanding because yeah it is a very hands-on sort of thing you can read as many books as you want but until you can actually touch feel and smell the curds and things like that it's pretty tricky yeah it's like with anything isn't it you can't teach experience exactly yeah it's, you've got to you've just got to live it so let's talk, I suppose, your perception on sort of Australian cheese at the moment. You said just before that you think that the US is probably around 15 years ahead of the artis- with the artisan cheese movement. I may have, may have uh, overestimated that. Since oh. I've been back, I think before I, when I left, I've, I felt that way. But since I've been back, it's been really amazing, especially coming back to Perth and seeing the range that, you know, independent grocers and supermarkets have really got behind a lot of Australian cheese and it's just super impressive to see. Like when I left Melbourne, I hadn't really heard of Cambrai cheese until a friend of mine, Anthony, recommended that I try some and I got some shipped over and it was amazing. But since I've been back here, I see it in stores, I see it at markets. Like it has definitely really, really improved, which is really great. Distance gives perspective. You know, I think that's one of the things that I really miss about travel in particular, yeah. is not being is being able to get away to think to re to regroup and then come back and look at everything through a different set of eyes. I find that you know so interesting that you you've been away with such vast experience and looking at the Australian artisan cheese movement. What do you think's next for Australian cheese? I think the education of um, the general public. You know, I think that's what I was talking about before. The supermarkets now and and grocers now broadening their horizons and getting the smaller local artisan farmstead cheeses and educating people is something that's really important and I think it's really starting to happen, which is really great. You know, I'm an Australian born and bred and I grew up on crap cheese. Like I never heard, I never <laughs> heard of it. Yeah, I'd never heard of camembert. I've never heard of brie. I didn't know the different types of cheeses. Blue cheese was, you know, you don't touch that. I think it's really changed not only in the last few years but especially now that I've been back, that people are talking about it, they're educating it, chefs are, you know, finding out what's really great and local and using them on their menus, you know. I think that's that's a really great thing from a chef and cheesemaker perspective. And I think for the cheesemakers as well, you know, being able to access those people that are out in the communities trying their cheeses, I think that's really important as well, like, farmers markets those sorts of things yeah i think australians are really starting to wake up to what good cheese is which is really great so what makes really good cheese for me i mean i'm a sucker for alpage style cheeses alpine cheeses those beautiful rich robust caramely grassy flavors 
that you can get from something from those alpine regions, for me, that, that's something that's really special. And what I love about Kim Masters over at Section 28, you know, he, he's trying to replicate that in the Adelaide Hills and I think he's doing a really fantastic job. Yeah, we're big fans of his choosers. They're, they're awesome. I suppose um, is there a style of cheese you think, aside from, say, those alpine styles, is there something we're not doing here in Australia that you think you'd like to see? Um, one cheese that I really fell in love with when I was in New York was the Bailey Hazen Blue from Jasper Hill. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's no. a, a, a raw cow's milk blue and it is just incredible. And when I talk about the the perception of the Australian public of what blue cheese is, like if we could get something like that here, it would just open up people's minds. It's just such a special cheese. So I think a really, really good high-quality uh, raw milk blue cheese would be something that would be pretty special. So when you say it's so fantastic, what what do you think makes it? Is it uh, is it the flavour? Is it how it's made? The milk? I think everything. It's the flavour. It's the milk. It's the terroir of where they are in, up there in Vermont. Um, it's the raw milk, so you know you're getting the flavour from all the grass that the cows are eating up there. And yeah, I think it's just the way that they do it. They've just put so much research and effort behind it, and it's it's just a truly special, unique cheese that once you try it, you'd be like, wow. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, I'd love to talk about raw milk cheese for a second. You, you matching it there with that with that blue. Um, coming up in October, we're actually going to do a box all on Australian raw milk cheese. Awesome. Including that from uh, Prom Country, Pecora, Section 28, and, of course, Bruni Island. What is it about raw milk cheese that you think adds another layer of flavour and complexity? Um, it goes back to, you know, those alpage and alpine-style cheeses that I mentioned before. You can taste what the animal's eating. You can taste the, the flavour profiles. There's a cheese up in, up in the alpine regions, uh, Lietivars. It was one of the first cheeses that I tried with Richard. So when I was working at Cumulus Inc., Richard used to be our cheese guy and we, we would call him and organise cheese and he would come in and drop off whatever he felt was best at the, at the minute. And I remember he gave me this cheese to try and explained in detail how the cows up on the hill eat a certain amount of this grass but in each square square foot or square metre, I think it is, is an insane amount of different types of lupins and grass and flowers and clovers and all these different things. And when you eat that piece of cheese, it just transports you. I've never been and I've been meaning to go. It's on my, as soon as this thing's over, I'm <laughs> going I'm going to learn how to make this cheese with them. I've been talking to them for three years, so one day it will happen. But, yeah, I can just imagine like standing on the side of this mountain and looking out every time I eat that piece of cheese. I love anything that can transport you to a time and place, whether it be yeah. cheese in particular and, you know, wine or or anything. It's very much about that experience, isn't it? it, it that translates more. What's your favourite uh, cheese moment? My favourite cheese moment, um, I think it was in the early days when I was starting out, you know, like I'd been making it at home and Andrew and the guys had seen how – much I loved it and they wanted for me to continue growing so they offered me a cheesemaker's position at Cutler & Co and for all Andrew's restaurants. So setting up that was something that was really special for me because I didn't always envision envisions doing something like it but, you know, to take on making fresh cheese for five restaurants 
on a Monday, Tuesday at Marion at the time. It was pretty special. And then starting a relationship with Ben Evans from St. David's Dairy just down the road yeah. and getting them from him. It always really excited me every Monday morning coming in and just seeing 100 litres of milk coming in and I had to turn it all into cheese. So I think that was something that I really treasure. <laughs> but I can imagine um, making cheese in restaurants and hospitality and being a full-blooded hospitality person. There's got to be some funny moments happening in restaurants. <laughs> is, there, is there one, is there a funniest moment that you can that you can actually say <laughs> in public? Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to a, a a friend in New York actually for this. He's an amazing chef and he has two restaurants in New York, Boy and Asamix, um, both Korean. So he's of Korean descent and he was working for You have been there? Yeah. yeah it's awesome. Amazing. Atomics is something that's really special as well. If you ever get back over there, you have to go. But, yeah, it was in his early days of training and we I think we'd just opened Cumulus. It was really busy Busy, busy lunch, and he'd forgotten about a, a stock pot full of chickpeas on the back of the stove. And at the time, he'd only just been in Australia for a little while, and he didn't really know what to do. So he just grabbed this massive pot of chickpeas and ran. And in, I don't know, at Cumulus, there used to be a sink in the front of the kitchen. So there was just this massive plume of like burning beef smoke curling up the roof while we had a full restaurant. It was, yeah, it was something that was. Wasn't really funny at the time, but you know now he's progressed on to become an amazing chef, an amazing friend. So, yeah, I remember that. Oh, it's I love that with hospitality is it's such a community and everyone uh, works in different restaurants and you people move away and come back and reconnect and I've always loved that about hospitality. It's still very much at the core of everything that that yeah, I do. I owe it everything. Yeah. And, you know, like we still keep in touch and, you know, he really made us feel welcome when we moved to New York. So, yeah, definitely, you know, to, to make those connections with people around the world. And another group of people that I was really blessed with, you know, talking about the cheese uh, relationship I had over in the States, like dealing with Crown Finish Caves. They're amazing and such a beautiful bunch of people that really cared about what they did. Yeah, to go and see those sorts of caves. If you ever go to New York, like let me know and I'll yeah, was that a uh, a cheese store or what? What these guys do is they help producers and makers around New York, Wisconsin, I think maybe Vermont, and maybe somewhere else. That they, what they do is they help people that have too much milk and have made too much cheese, and they buy the cheese off them, and they actually age it thirty feet below the street of Brooklyn. So there's an old beer cave, the Lagering Tunnel, actually, that's right below the streets of um, Crown Heights in Brooklyn. Wow. It turned it into a cheese aging facility. So they age cheese underneath there, and it's just some of the best cheese you'll ever taste. It's really delicious. They do, talking about Alpine-style cheeses, they do a tubby, and it's delicious. So it's a raw milk cheese uh, that they buy from Consider Bardwell, I think it is which is up in Vermont, and uh, they purchase it, I think it's about a week old, and then they bring it in and they age it and look after it in their caves, which is something that's really unique. I've never heard of anyone else doing that, but um, yeah, it's really special what they do. Yeah, and to see what those guys do, and I made a mistake, it's not considered Bardwell Farm. I'm trying to think of it. It's Springbrook Farm. So another really cool uh, initiative up there, they get kids from the city and take them out to the farm and teach them how to live and work on a farm and those guys make this cheese and they send it back down and uh, they age it. So, yeah, it's a really, really cool thing that they're doing. That's awesome. I, I, God, I'd love to have something like that 
similar program here in Australia. It would be freaking awesome. Yeah, it would be, definitely. Best, my best cheese moment, I think we talked about that, but it was actually when um, I was working with uh, what, Meredith Dairy and uh, Angus, who's the son there. Yeah. So Richard was good friends with them, you know, obviously with the Meredith Dairy Fetter. And we'd been asked to do something for the Melbourne Food and West Food and Wine Festival. Uh, I think it was the year they did the dairy, like focused on dairy side of things. So Richard asked me to make fromage blanc for him so we could do two variations, uh, a savoury version and a sweet version, so he could talk to people about, you know, the differences and, and what you could do with this cheese. And we made uh, Savelle du Canut, which is um, – Fromage Blanc mixed with shallots and lots of herbs and things like that. Like they use it as a spread basically in Lyon in France. And then we made a sweet version. We made a little mousse. Uh, but from there I got friendly with Angus and started talking about sheep's milk and he managed to get me some sheep's milk one day. And I'd never used sheep's milk. I hadn't even made a semi-hard cheese. But I asked Richard to help me and we got together and he told me about how to do it and I went about it. And then I aged it for I think three months. And then uh, one day we're having a beer and I cut it open and I took it up to him and he was just blown away. And I think seeing the pride and satisfaction on his face that he'd like help someone make something so delicious was, yeah, definitely my favourite moment in cheese making ever. Yeah, and I mean, tasting it as well, I was pretty blown away. I was like, wow, I, I made that. A quick question here. You're talking with sheep's milk and say cow's milk. What do you see from a making point of view is there some things that you've got to be more aware of with say something like sheep's milk or cows like well they are different obviously um yes. you know the fat profiles protein there's lots of things going on i'm not like i said i'm still very much an amateur cheese maker and i've got a lot to learn but i do see dif- differences in the milk um but that's why i'm really excited to go hang out with cambrai because most of my cheese making has been with cow's milk but to talk to someone that has access to the sheep out the back and can talk me through it. I think that's something that I'm really excited about. Yeah, milk as a medium uh, has so many different expressions uh, and obviously whether it be cow, sheep, goat, buffalo, um, camel. This is interesting, you know, like I went and visited a friend in Dubai a couple of years ago and I have this thing, you know, everyone – who loves traveling obviously has their things. They might like going to the beach. They might like going shopping, whatever it is. Whenever I'm in a new country or a new city, like I love to go and find artisan cheese people and, and just talk to them and figure out, you know, what makes them tick or what's local to the area. So when I was in Dubai, surely there's camels here. Like they must make some sort of cheese. So I begged my friend and he drove me for about two hours out into the desert and we went to the world's biggest camel farm and they make camel cheese there. So we went through and they showed me, like they gave me, they were so excited to have a cheesemaker, they thought, in their presence. So they showed me the whole factory. They wouldn't tell me how they made the cheese because they were really scared that I was going to steal it. But they let me see all their processes, everything. It was quite fascinating to see. And what did it taste like? It's really sweet. Really sweet. And what sort of yep. style of cheese was it? Um, because camel milk is very, very different to, you know, the big four. It doesn't. It can't be coagulated with normal rennet, so like a calf or a veg- vegetarian rennet. So I never found out how that they actually said it. But yeah, they're making like yogurts and labners and like a, a feta style of cheese. But yeah, it was just really sweet. It was, it was quite. I wasn't expecting that at all. 
I was expecting something really animally and like yeah. really off thing, but it was it was yeah palatable. It was good. I uh, I'm intrigued, and I must admit, you know, going to Dubai, uh, cheese is probably the last thing on my mind, uh, aside yeah. from a pina colada. I'd say. <laughs> It's just a full-on crazy time, mate. And uh, look, thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat to us. And I've got to say that when you make uh, some commercially available cheese, we are putting a hand very high up. Uh, we would love to uh, love to love to take and talk about it as well, mate. So, mate, thanks so much for being part of the Mole Cheese Collective podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Mole Cheese Collective podcast. If you'd like to stay in touch, do consider following us on the socials at, at Cheese or drop us an email at hello at moldcheesefestival.com. We have many more conversations to come and we can't wait to share them with you. But until next time, cheers. <laughs>